Hi, and welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm your host, Sam Stern. Today, we talk to Mark Whitwell, a brilliant yogi and teacher and a very good friend of mine. I want to note that in this instance, I don't use the word friend lightly or casually. Mark is a teacher noted for his openness and for his humor, and he is available through his role as a teacher for friendship and for connection. As Mark, the heart of yoga is the mutual affection between two actual people. It is the universal means by which wisdom is transmitted. During our talk, Mark and I address intimacy and receptiveness, and the power of practice, the power of yoga. Towards the end of our talk, I ask Mark, what's your secret superpower? What are you good at that people might not know about? Mark answers, my secret superpower is not a secret at all. My power is that I'm the power of the cosmos. Well, all right then, Mark. So with no further ado, here's my conversation at the Esalen Institute with Mark Whitwell. Thank you so much for being here on Voices of Esalen today. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. We're just in between um, workshop classes here at Esalen, so I just I had my sitar that I have tuned up ready for my class. So you just caught me in a nice moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for for having me. Yeah. So tell me about the sitar that you're that you're holding. Where is it from? How long have you had it? It's a beautiful story for me. I'd, I'd start by saying that all of my teachers have died. Uh, my teacher, Deskachar, he has not died, but he's in advanced Alzheimer's, which has been a, a big surprise for us in our life uh, to lose him. And a few uh, few months back, maybe a year or so ago, I was um, going to the Toyota dealer in Berkeley. <laughs> and I passed by the Ali Akbar Khan School of Music shop and they had a beautiful rack of sitars. Now when I was in India 35 years ago I had a sitar that my mother bought me. It so happened that the model of sitar was exactly the same maker from Calcutta in the Berkeley store. So out of devotion and uh, uh, remembrance and appreciation of my mother, I bought the Sita. <laughs> and then I found a teacher. And the, the bigger part of the story is that I've, I, because my teachers have passed away, I've had the beauty of finding a teacher who's teaching me. Her name is Joanna Mack, and she's a maestro of, of um, 
Indian classical music, studied in Calcutta for many, many years. And um, she knows how to teach me in a, a way that is right for me, you know, come to my level and show me things that I can do. And I'm so, so grateful just to have a teacher again, to be in a relationship with someone I love and respect who loves me, cares for me, you know. And so I've re-entered that in this last year. Uh, not that I'd lost it, except I'd lost the, the livingness of my teachers. So um, I'm very grateful for that. 35 years ago, I had a teacher in India of sitar when I was studying my yoga in Chennai. And um, I spent nine months working with this Muslim man. And so I got some basic skills, but I'd always been frustrated because I'd never continued it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd have a sitar and I'd sort of struggle with it and feel like, oh no, I'm hopeless. I'll never be able to do this. And then I found Joanna and she's taken me mm. into a realm of beauty that I'm so grateful for. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it sounds like having teachers is an important part of your life. I know your father was a professor, isn't that right? Thanks for noticing that, yeah. <laughs> and my, you know, my grandfather, he was a, a chief inspector of schools. He, he was like a policymaker for the Department of Education in New Zealand. And when he retired, he took on education in the prisons of New Zealand. And he did that for like a decade. And it was amazing work, you know, just basically trying to help people who had um, made a mess of their lives. You know. And I see my work as the same. <laughs> what did your father teach? Uh, he became a, a principal of a teacher's college. So he was a historian, academic. And then uh, as his career progressed, he, he changed uh, into being a, you know, like the principal, the chief executive of, of a large teacher's training college in New Zealand. Yes, and, and you too have spent some time teaching before this the yoga, whole yoga part of your life. Yeah, I did. It was my fallback position, you know, because my father and my mother were school teachers. I became a school teacher. Um, and that was basically, you know, going to India and coming back to New Zealand and needing a job. And, oh, my God, what do I do? You know, I think I'll become a teacher. <laughs> But I, I was never very successful at that. What ages did you teach? Uh, just young children. Yeah? Yeah, primary school. Uh -huh. I did that for a while, but I was never good at, you know, the way schools were. You know. I was trying to teach children and at the same time reading a book by a man called A.S. Neal, and his book was Schools for Failure. And it was all about the streaming of children and academic excellence and how you only have 5% of those children who came out of the system successful and the others were convinced of their inability. Mm. So I was trying to run a free school atmosphere yeah. in the midst of standard academia and I was never very good at it. But yeah, teaching, the whole thing in yoga is you know, the heart of yoga is the relationship between teacher and student. Mm. The heart of yoga is the uh, mutual affection between two actual people, you know, and that is, I say, it's the universal means by which uh, wisdom is transmitted. Mm. Yeah. 
in which energy is transmitted. You know, spiritual transmission occurs in relationship to an actual other. And you can look at any and every tradition of wisdom on this, in this world, and that is the heart and soul of it, you know, the actual relationship. Now, of course, Christians know this. You know, <laughs> it's a personal relationship. Mm. Although yoga would say it's good if the person is alive, mm. you know. But it's the same principle. It's a guru system. So was this an understanding that you came to during I, I, my understanding of your story? And you can tell me more about it is that you went to India at a certain point in your life and you, you came upon you had trouble finding the, the, the great teacher amongst a lot of people trying to sell you uh, teachings in the, in the spiritual marketplace, so to speak. I really appreciate this, Sam, how you've looked into my books and um, got some of my background. Um, yes, that is true. You know, India is essentially a business land in the spiritual realm. You know, it's a spiritual circus and everybody's making their money offering some kind of spiritual transmission or salvation. And it is quite a task for any young person, any person, to sift out the gems and the honesty you know, in America today, our whole, our spirituality has been toxified by the behaviors of people who call themselves gurus, you know, in the last few decades. The, the whole function of guru has been uh, hidden or toxified by very famous people who are known to be gurus who have behaved in certain ways. Where they use the idea of guru as a power mechanism, you know, as a way of manipulating others. And that's, um, unfortunately, that, that's the common experience of guru. When people think of gurus, they think of, you know, men behaving badly. So um, I am all for uh, upholding the function of guru and finding it where it is uh, a true quality of the human life, you know. Yeah. And it's always been there. It's, and it, it is just caring for each other at a local level in actual relationships that are trustworthy, that are not... not um, where there is no agenda of control, there is no money agenda, there's no sex agenda, there's... Um, the caring for others, the empowering of people together, you know, in community. So that's the function of guru, and it's yeah. always been there. I've always said the, the guru is not an identity. The guru is not a social identity. The guru is not even a personal identity, you know. So a statement from my teacher, Krishnamacharya, so whoever says he is a guru is not a guru. Yeah. Because it never crosses your mind, you see. You don't, it's not, I am this, I am that. The guru is a function of Mother Nature, a function of caring. And what I, I'm very interested in restoring that function for people all over the world, in America and everywhere, which is why I'm so grateful for Esalen for distributing this understanding, you know. How, how long have you been associated with Esalen? 
It might be like 12 years or something like that. It's quite a long time. Mm. Every year coming twice a year. But more than that, just the Esalen brand, you know, carrying this information into the world, you know, yeah. like what we're doing right now. It's a, it's a very healing activity. You know? do, do you feel like your teachings have, have evolved over the 12 years that you've been here or have you been carrying kind of like a same kind of central theme? It's the same central theme, but I'm sure I have changed as the years go by. Things happen, you know, and you have, you emphasize different matters, uh, you know, that have been important to me as the years have gone by. Yeah. But the teaching is the teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, K- Krishnamacharya, my teacher, who was the teacher of BKS Iyengar, he is the source scholar of all this yoga that's being popularized in, the, in America. So, what he essentially taught is what I've been teaching all along and that how people do that for themselves, how you do a real yoga. You know, what is yoga and how do you do yoga according to your needs, you know, your body type, your age, your health, your um, cultural background too is really important. Adapting yoga to individual needs mm. and actual yoga, not gymnastics, not... Um, spiritual gymnastics where you're trying to get to some sort of future ideal state of enlightenment or something, you know. None of that. Actual yoga. Yeah. In some of the discussions that we've had, uh, you've spoken to me kind of about the yoga of intimacy or Mm -hmm. the yoga of relation, and I wanted to ask you if you would speak a bit about that, you know, for... For selfish reasons, I am getting married in Beautiful. a couple of weeks. Beautiful. And I have found some of the conversations that you and I have had um, in the past about receptivity and yeah. connection to be very interesting. Mm. And I wanted to ask you if you would speak a bit about that. Thank you. Well, you see, that is yoga. Yoga is intimacy. Or um, Krishnamacharya's line was... Yoga is relationship, right? And this is why I'm saying it's so difficult to sort out what is real yoga and how to practice yoga in a way that is useful to me and to every individual in a way that's right for them because so much of it is taught as some sort of effort in the body and mind towards a future possibility, right? (laughs) called enlightenment or or even called love you know called peace mm. called nirvana called god somewhere where you're going to get to if you diligently follow these ideas that are sold that are put in a package in an ashram and in an institution and in a worldwide organization and a worldwide yoga brand you know see and this psychology is rife everywhere so that you discipline yourself you work on yourself in some arbitrary way and then you're going to get to a future state so most of the world's activity in spiritual life is like that some discipline on yourself to get somewhere our point in the heart of yoga is there is no getting to yoga is participation in the given reality what is life you know what is this body what is living this body? What is breathing this body? You know, And that is yoga, to participate in the given reality, to be intimate with your own life, 
not to get somewhere. Yeah, there is the whole idea of getting somewhere is a denial of what is already happening, what I already am. So I say yoga is to be intimate with what you already are, which is life itself. Yeah. So if I'm intimate with my own life, there's a possibility that this life can be intimate with you, you know, or my chosen intimate other. And there are two aspects to, to the yoga, and that is the exhale and the inhale. And honestly, it comes down to something as simple as that, you know. It's to participate in my inhale and exhale. Because the exhale is the strong aspect of life. The exhale is the abdominals in and up, the diaphragm moving up, you see. So my base and spine is the strong aspect of my life, the exhale. The inhale is the receptive aspect of my life. Mm. So yoga is simply the participation in this strength that is receptive. Exhale, inhale. It is called Hatha Yoga. Now, Hatha Yoga is not a brand of yoga. If you do asana, it is Hatha Yoga. It's an ancient word. Sometimes it's confusing because the Sanskrit words are taken like Hatha Yoga or Kundalini Yoga or this yoga, that yoga, and they're creating modern-day brands. But these words are like mother's milk. They're words like God. You know, They belong deeply in the wisdom tradition of ancient... Of, of the ancient tradition of yoga. See, so asana is hatha yoga. There is the ha and the ta and the union of that strength, ha, that is receptive, ta. The, sometimes it's translated as sun and moon, you know, the brightness of the sun and the coolness, receptivity of the moon, these ancient symbols. But anybody can do this. Anybody can engage their anatomy to enhance the breath in that relationship of exhale, strength, male, to inhale, receptive, feminine. Because we are all male-female. We come from male-female union. <laughs> I have a, the great Alan Watts said, no one gets into this realm without sex. This is how we enter. Sex is the basis of this reality, uh -huh. the union of opposites. So doing asana is the participation in the exhale and the inhale, strength with receptivity, male with female mm -hmm. qualities of your whole body. Yeah. Right? So it is the enactment of those qualities of life, which is your life, yeah. which are your life. And if you develop a receptivity in your yoga practice, then that will immediately become interpreted in your relationship with somebody else. You become capable of receiving another. Yeah. So what does that look like in terms of being uh, able to receive another person? Is it in conversation? Is it in physicality? In every way. You simply... Uh, you're there, you're there with whoever you're there with. Right, and when you say there, you mean present. Present, yeah. I am with you. There's a certain uh, willingness to be here with you. 
right? Strength, ha. <laughs> but I receive you synchronistically. I'm present with you. I give to you and I receive you synchronistically is the what happens when you do a yoga practice. Uh, yeah. And I always say it's, it's not just a good idea. I, I don't want to put this into an abstraction of like, oh, that's so beautiful, that's so spiritual, like being present while I receive you. This, that can be an idea that makes and just another frustration because it seems like I'm not really doing that. I hold it up as a good idea, then I notice how much I fail at it all the time, right? So spirituality reduced to good ideas, uh, ideals, abstractions, uh, can make your life worse because you see your failure at it all the time, you know. My point is that this doing of yoga practice is the enactment of the beautiful idea, you know. It's, the, it's what my teacher called the practical means by which you implement the good idea. The beautiful idea of, of culture or the beautiful idea of um, spiritual text, you know. Even the beautiful ideas of New Age text are implemented or enacted through an actual yoga practice. Because the actual yoga is to be strong, to be present, while I receive strength that is receptive. So strength that receives is stronger than strength that doesn't receive. Mm. <laughs> strength that receives is more durable, more flexible, more continuous, longer lasting, you know, the receptive aspect of our embodiment. And of course, this is the human problem. We are been socialized to be strong but not receive. Mm -hmm. And I notice all over the world, especially in America, there's an inability to receive, to, to inhale. Would you say that's a, a male problem or a male and female? Problem? Male and female. It's the same for everybody. There's something going on where the women are more willing to consider it, it seems, because the, the yoga studios are full of women. But that's all right. That's just a historic moment that will change because the men will get onto it soon. Because men who can receive, they get the best of all worlds. Uh -huh. right. And if you can't receive, if you can only be strong, you destroy yourself. Strength that doesn't receive destroys itself. You know? How long do you think that one has to practice before they start? Immediate. It's not, it's not, there's no linear process to it at all. Yeah. In my book, Yoga of Heart, there's a story of Sarah and Vishal, an uh, Indian gentleman who lived in New York, very successful businessman, and they were trying to conceive a child and they came to me for help in this matter. And I taught them their, gave them their yoga practice. And they did it nicely. You know, just a short 15-minute moving and breathing asana practice. They came to me a week later and said, we had the best sex we've ever had in our life that evening. And ongoing. That they became present to each other as strength while they received each other uh -huh. as the whole body. So, you, so you, you understand what, what I'm saying there. That is the gift of a yoga practice, that 
the strength receiving in the inner polarity mm -hmm. results in strength receiving in the outer po polarity, your ability to be receptive of, of another. Yeah. This is the gift of yoga. Yeah. You know, I want to purify two things while I'm alive here, and that is the guru function, and that is real people caring for each other at a local level, right? And put that all around the world. You know, there'd be real yoga teachers in every town, every village, all over this Mother Earth, you know. And understand that function of guru, you know, the, the caring for each other and the mutual, actual affection between real people, you know, who love and care for each other, who respect each other. That is guru. So the guru is no more than a friend and no less than a friend. Okay. Right. So I want to fix that up. Okay. Second thing is I want to purify sex and end the vulgarity and the what humanity has done to sex. Yeah. Of course, se I say sex is God's method on earth, the union of opposites by which we bring in new life. The union of opposites is the very means by which motherhood and fatherhood arrive, you know. The union of opposites by which spirit takes form and the source becomes seen as actual little babies, you know. Yeah. And if not actual little babies, the source becomes seen in all kinds of other wonderful creative enterprises. Like I know of you, for example, with your beautiful partner and what you do together mm. as two intimates, you know, bringing... The, the, that wonderful book that you did into the world on the Kama Sutra, you know. So, spirit takes form through the union of opposites. Mm -hmm. right? Furthermore, you know the source of opposites through the union of opposites. Tell me. Through the union of opposites, you have a feeling of the absolute, I mean, the heart of the matter. If, I'm, if my exhale is in union with my inhale, if I sacrifice my inhale to the exhale, I feel the place in my life where both are arising, right? Where both come together, in the, which is the heart, you see. Yeah. And the, the, the Sanskrit word for heart is a beautiful word. It's a very spiritual word. The word is hrid, hrid, H-R-I-D. I have a, a book called I call the Hridaya Yoga Sutra. And the Hrid heart is two syllables, hr and da. Da is to receive, hr is to give. See, so by giving and receiving in this synchronistic activity, if I'm present to my intimate, while I synchronistically receive my intimate, and this is made possible through my asana of strength that is receptive, the, the movement that is right for me. It facilitates that connection to how life is functioning. I get a feeling in my heart. I get a feeling in my whole body, which is source, which is love, which is the absolute condition in which all conditions are arising. You know, the absolute reality in which this, the stars are appearing, in which the sun is appearing, which is Mother Earth is appearing, you know, that, by the union of opposites, 
I know the source of opposites. That's the statement there. And indeed that happens in intimate relationship with somebody else. If you receive that person, you're present to that person, that heart feeling, that source feeling, that nurturing source is felt, is revealed to you. This is the purpose of sex. This is the beauty of sex. This is the the dignity and the <clears throat> you know the power to become completely sex positive. Yeah. This is what I'm saying to heal the guru function, to heal the sex function, and bring it into we you know we can't even use the word sex anymore without a immediate you know social connotation of something uh, something not to talk about you know. Have you ever formed any theories upon why it, it might have oh, strayed so far from? From the source, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's dark origins are in religious philosophy, and that is to go to the source of your perceptions and reside as awareness only, reside as the witness only to all arising conditions. This idea that became popularized in Buddhism and even Christianity. You know, you drop away. Life is so terrible, you drop it. Mm -hmm. Have nothing to do with it. Is that shit? Yeah, go to the monastery. And where woman, and this was all male clubs, you see. Buddhism started off as male clubs. And woman became the obstruction to that ideal, to reside concentrating on God only or consciousness only. You know, there's lots of sophisticated language around that. So we developed worldwide doctrine on those ideas where woman and sex became the obstruction to your spiritual heroism in the monastery, you see. And it created this vulgarity around sex. Mm -hmm. Vivekananda, when he came to America, he pointed that out. He said that Buddhism and Christianity had caused this hierarchical system in society where, you know, if you're a real hero in your village, you left the village and went to the monastery and the priests were the, the, the wise people, the womenless men were the wise people of the, of the world who had given up sex, given up women. If you're still interested in sex, family life in the village and you hadn't gone and made that heroic gesture to the monastery, you were less than the heroic priest who had gone to the monastery. So in that way, we created this hierarchy of <clears throat> that's still existing, that if you're a really superior person, you somehow go beyond your ordinary human needs, human desires. <clears throat> and this turned sex into something less than. Mm. And of course, it is precisely the other way around. As I said, through the union of opposites, you know the source of opposites. Through the collaboration of male and female, we know life, we know reality. We know the nurturing force of life and the nurturing source of life that some people would call God. This is how it is, you know, not that other. <laughs> You know, I'm sorry to say, which is why I'm very happy to speak this clearly. 
and you know put it into the world and give people the practical tools before they even think about sex or relationship just to merge the inhale with the exhale participate in life as strength that is receiving which is the quality of reality itself you know look at life look at a tree how a tree has a a strong trunk male you know upright ascending (laughs) and then you get to the soft soft foliage which is utterly utterly receptive yeah you see feminine and without the foliage the the trunk would wither without the trunk there would could be no foliage it's a perfect arrangement of male and female polarity the power of life itself god's method on earth and that is our own condition so we must participate in that in our own reality yeah I mean, I say we must. I mean, what else are we going to do? Just be strong and brittle and break and die, you know? Male strength that doesn't receive, that doesn't collaborate with the feminine, destroys itself. And this is the world we live in, Mm. is destruction and and war and terrorism is the ultimate sickness of that arrangement, see? The ultimate sickness of, of male doctrine of this system, this hierarchical system where life is denied, sex is denied, the feminine is denied by male. And it's a dreadful deal for both men and women. Mm -hmm. Everybody's suffering it. And, you know, there's the obvious terror of religious fundamentalism and what it's doing to the present world, but, but it's also just the common life, you know, the inability to be receptive of life and be receptive of each other and enjoy your life. And what yoga gives is this enjoyment, participation in these qualities of your own life, male and female, strength that is receptive, inhale, exhale. And it gives you the capability of entering into a um, satisfying relationship with somebody else, a fulfilling relationship, a, indeed a God-realizing relationship. And if God is a tricky word, which it is for many people because it's been used by, you know, theists or dualists of all kind, God is other. So it's a difficult word to use. Um, so I, I just mean reality itself, life itself, the power of this cosmos that is arising as every person, you know, we are all the power of the cosmos and the body is functioning as pure intelligence. It's extraordinary what is life. And it is utterly beautiful. That's why I say every person, every person walking this planet is, is the power of this cosmos arising as a pure intelligence and utter beauty. And I don't just mean, yeah, you're a beautiful person, you're a beautiful woman, you're a beautiful man, that true enough to be said, but I mean, you are the beauty, you know, the, the beauty of the blossoms on the trees and the sunlight on the water and the animal kingdom and the green realm. I mean, that is the beauty that is every, and that's just a fact, it's not some spiritual statement and it's not a piece of poetry. It's a plain fact, it's a mathematical fact that you are that. And yoga is the practical means by which we participate and enjoy this that we are. And indeed the possibility of sharing it with somebody else in this very powerful, fulfilling embrace of one person to another. 
And I mean that whether it's same-sex intimacy or opposite-sex intimacy, both. It's not a matter of sexual preference. Sorry, It's a matter of um, the embrace of another as strength receiving, male and female, because we're all male-female, essentially. Yeah, I love what you're doing. Thank you. You're just firing me along. Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> so, Mark, do you practice yoga every day? Or what does your practice look like? Yeah, I, I practice every day. And I have done <clears throat> since I met my teachers, Dasikachar, the son of Krishnamacharya, many years ago. And I encourage people in my book, The Promise of Love, Sex, and Intimacy, in the little handbook of that I just called The Promise, I I invite people to promise to do a seven-minute practice. Mm -hmm. That's all. If you actually begin to practice for no less than seven minutes a day, something happens. It's unbelievable, the power of this breath, the power of your own life, the intelligence of your own life, the beauty of your own life in participating in your breath. I say the body loves its breath. It's a love relationship. And the exhale loves the inhale, right? But we're not practicing. And I say, please, you know, like, do you brush your teeth and take a shower every day? And people do. And I say, okay, so it's like that. You know, do this natural thing that is supportive of your life. It doesn't have to be some heroic gesture of life, you know. It's just an ordinary thing to do. So we have this deal that goes down. So I promise you the results of yoga, everything that we've just been talking about. If you promise me that you'll do a seven-minute practice. So it's a, it's a good deal. But I know this, that the practice is so pleasurable that seven becomes 10 minutes sometimes. And then 10 minutes becomes 20 minutes sometimes. And then it's Sunday morning and the sunlight's coming through the window and it's a beautiful day and you're just with your breath and you you know you might do a 30 40 minute practice yeah. but i say actual natural daily non-obsessive yeah practice is how yoga should be and just put it into your day like that but it has to start off as a discipline because we're not doing it so you got to do it and i invite people you know, holding my finger in there. I invite you <laughs> to actually do this. You know, take on what I call a 40-day sadhana. Sadhana is a beautiful Sanskrit word, which means that which you can do. Okay. This is the practical way that you start to participate in these spiritual gifts that I'm talking about. Okay. Well, I myself have been a meditator and just like everybody I know, drop out, don't do it sometimes, do it sometimes. But uh, mm. I'm working on a week now, Mark. So I'm going to get in touch with you in 33 days. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you. hold you to it. Yeah, no, I really will do that. I'll make yeah. that I'll make that commitment to you. Yeah. As a friend, you see, and I say the guru, no more than a friend, no less than a friend, mm. caring for you and local community and saying, hey, you know, like just like if you weren't taking a you know, a daily shower, say, hey, you're supposed to shower every day, you know, <laughs> and you'd go, oh, okay. All right, man. Yeah. So it's like that. It's something simple, as, like as a friend would do, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, what is, what is, what's your secret superpower? What's something that you're really good at that people might not know about? Wow. <laughs> well, I don't think my secret superpower is any different from anybody else's secret 
superpower. And that is that I am the power of this cosmos. I am. And this body is functioning as an extreme intelligence. It's amazing how the body functions. This ordinary body, you know. And I feel the beauty of the natural world that is my own beauty. That is my power, you know. I am equally male and female in this body, you know. I am, there is strength in me and there is receptivity in me and it's equal, you know. That is my secret power, <laughs> you know. It's no different from anybody else's. It's the same. It's, everybody's in the same condition, you well, know. Well, it's like your secret is that you see the secret. Yes, but I have to say it's because I contacted true practitioners, real teachers of the great tradition, who passed on actual yoga to me, who were scholars of life, scholars of their own tradition, what I call the great tradition, and that they could pass on to me what yoga actually is. And it is the actual practicing of that yoga that enabled me to see this fact that I am the power of the cosmos and so are you. And your body is so utterly beautiful and so exquisitely intelligent in how it's functioning and breathing and sexing and feeling and receiving. <laughs> that it is the enactment of an actual yoga practice that enables me to feel that. I am that and I can feel it through doing a yoga practice that is right for me. I just, I see, I too was born in the suburbs. I was born in this world of denial of life. The, the um, you know, mechanical, materialistic way that we were raised to see life. Are you from Auckland? Yeah, I'm, I'm just born in the, you know, where we were <coughs> brainwashed to prepare us for the factories or the universities, you know, whatever our IQ level was for productivity, you know, is that we were squeezed out of the sausage machine, squeezed out of school knowing mathematics, but knowing nothing about life. And I was, you know, we must be, we must educate our people, our children to feel, to be life. Yeah, my teachers weren't telling me, you know, Mark, you are the power of this cosmos. Your body is a pure intelligence, how it's functioning. You are utter beauty. No one was saying that to me. And here's how you participate in this reality that is you, that is us, that is this cosmos. I didn't get that education. I got lots of algebra and lots of colonial history about how they killed off the indigenous people all around the world and put factories everywhere until the planet was polluted. I learned all about that. I learned how wealth is funneled up to a handful of people legal theft from the public, institutional theft in an economic system that's not functioning any longer, that's not feeding the people. I saw all that and was educated to be a participant in that. Yeah. But I was not educated in yoga, yeah. in spirituality. Mm -hmm. And it is time now, you know. It's a wonderful thing that's happened with this, uh, the politics of this world now. At least we're having this conversation. 
You know, it's a fact that if the world's wealth was equally distributed to every human being on this planet, everyone would have a salary of $300,000. There's a culture in Polynesia I want to tell you about where they measured the male status in that culture by the size of the yams that the male could grow. This was a very effective system that ensured the survival of that of the human species on those islands. You know, it worked beautifully for generations, you know. The males were very proud to grow their large yams to feed the people. The yams got so large, so enormous and so fibrous that you couldn't eat them anymore. <laughs> Right. The, the beautiful thing of that story is that that culture changed quickly to, you know, this there's a symbiosis of culture, what humans are, how humans are behaving and survival of the species. And it goes hand in hand. You know, the culture must support the people, must support people. But in our world today, we're still measuring male status by the size of the yams and we can't eat them anymore. It's not working. And there's a, you know, it's an act, those days are over, except, you know, it's taking a little while for us to change. And I'm saying we must now be finished with that anachronism, that old system. We must feed the people. And male status is measured not on the size of their yams or their bank accounts or buildings or assets. It's measured on our ability to receive, to be with each other, to collaborate yeah. with the feminine, you know, to be present to another and receive another synchronistically, to be on this planet as receptivity, you know, to cooperate with Mother Earth, to be there in the systems of Mother Earth, support Mother Earth and receive Mother Earth and get it sorted and get it sorted quickly. Yeah. This is the culture that we must develop now yeah. on this Earth and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working for that in my field, and that is to give the practical tools to each and every person to be strength that is receptive in their own embodiment, yeah. to be male and female in their own embodiment, and then take that into relationships of all kinds and every kind. Yeah. You mentioned practical tips. I'm looking at you. you look, you're very healthy you think? Yeah, you're a very healthy-looking man. I know that you've just battled a bit of I had dengue. Yeah, and barley. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry about that. I was wondering if you have any, we've spoken spiritually, do you have any physical tips? You know, I talk to people at Esalen all the time, because people here, you know, they look, they're in a state of health. And I say, like, what, what do you do? You know, and some people will tell me, I do uh, very esoteric things. Do you have any um, interesting or esoteric tips to share? The main one is to do a daily yoga practice. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Move and breathe. Yeah. yeah. And it's always good, the striding around the hills of Esalen is great. You know, just a little moderate exercise. It doesn't have to be extreme, you know. Yeah. And in that, the reduction of diet to, to reduce the carbohydrates and sugar that is in the usual diet of America. Just cut those out. Just don't yeah. eat those at all. Yeah, yeah. Or if, if we do, in very moderate amounts. Mm -hmm. I mean, carbohydrates, you know? Yeah. And sugar. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Cut those out and eat lots of green. You know, participate in the green realm. <laughs> yeah. The light and the green and absorb lots of green and uh, moderate amounts of, not, not so moderate, you know, good protein and 
you know, there's hard people turning turning people from meat protein, but that needs to happen for our for the safety of the world too. Yeah. The safety of the whole planet Earth. We've got to stop our meat industries. And we've got to care for our fellow creatures who we live with on this planet and not make them suffer so dreadfully. But, but apart from that, it's toxifying the planet, you know, this, the meat industry. Mm. So um, turn to good plant protein and lots of green, less sugar, less carbohydrate, mm-hmm. and a good healthy amount of exercise and a good healthy amount of intimacy with other human beings, including sexual intimacy. Yeah. How much would you prescribe? (laughs) That's a good uh, and tricky question. I would say agree with your intimate partner on the frequency of intimate lovemaking uh, to a degree that is satisfactory for both, Mm -hmm. you know. So... It might be, um, for some people, it might be three or four times a week or five times a week or seven times a week, <laughs> you know, in the early stages of a relationship. But then as you go along, you, when the, the yoga of sexual intimacy is done, there, might, there, could, there is a natural um, Economy, you know, I'd say love making is so profound that you don't have to do it all the time, you know. So it might, it's a, anyway, a frequency that you both agree upon. Yeah, yeah. You know, discuss it openly, and I, I say to people always, um, plan your intimate occasion. You know, be disciplined about it, just like you do your daily asana. You know, it's a daily practice or, you know, and agree to agree to meet and be intimate with each other on a frequency that you both agree upon. You know, at least every few times a week, you know, be together and make love in your in your being together. I like your advice. Mm. What are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for you for asking me these questions and getting me to talk, you know. Because if you weren't there, ask me these things, I wouldn't be talking. And and uh, this is my love, my passion is to put this into the world for every person everywhere. So I'm very grateful for this occasion that I can. My teacher used to say, "I'm just a dog barking, <laughs> you know, I'm just responding to you." And you know, I'm barking. I'm saying what I want to say, you know. Um, and this is very dear to me, so I'm very grateful to you for letting me have my say and getting this out there. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mark. I'm very grateful for your teachings too. You're a role model for me and for other men, for other people. Thank you for joining us on Voice the Vessel. And if uh, our listeners want to know more about you and more about your books, how can they learn more about you? I have a website, heartofyoga.com. And on there are my books, a a book called Yoga of Heart, The Power of Intimate Connection. And I have a recent book called The Promise of Love, Sex and Intimacy. And a little handbook to that I've just put out called The Promise. Subtitle is You Can Have What You Really Want. Yeah. So they're all there. And and we're working with apps now, an app called I Promise. It gives a little practice which people can actually watch an eight-minute video and duplicate that in their own home and get started. 
So I think, you know, with my book and this little app, people can begin a practice without necessarily um, meeting up. Yeah, I was I was reading about that in your book. I got kind of interested so that I promise you just get that onto your phone and then it'll help you meditate. It'll, it'll, it'll discipline you. Yeah, you just can follow along. I've, it's so satisfactory for me that so many people around the world are now practicing. I haven't met them yet. Sometimes I meet people who have been doing it for a year and they've turned up and they've been doing the practice through my app. It's just a little thing, costs three bucks. So you download the app and then you can follow along and do the practice from your, from your smartphone, you know. So we have that going on. We have some other, I have another app called um, Meditations on Love and Breathing. That's there, it's a 21 day program. Um, but this, this little gem of an app called I Promise, and it, so it goes with my book, The Promise, and the app, I promise, it's kind of a joke, you know, like iPhone, I promise. So they are all there, and, uh, and but the basic info is at um, heartofyoga.com. Mm-hmm. And come to Esalen. I'm here in, um, over the new year, the new year weekend and the week that follows. Should be pretty, pretty wild here around new year. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate talking to you today. Yeah, me too, Sam. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's podcast was produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Geraldine Hess, Lori Putnam, Shannon Hudson, and Ian Golden. Today's music is by Jason Shaw. It's called Running Waters. For more of our podcasts, please subscribe to us on iTunes or visit us at esalen.org. That's E-S-A-L-E-N.org. They're all archived on there. Until next time, I'm your host, Sam Stern, wishing you peace, abundance, happiness, sweetness, all the good things.